Welcome to this podcast on digital responsibility. There's a vibrant community across the world at the moment driving forward corporate digital responsibility, which includes a range of aspects from digital ethics, digital for the environment, sustainability, digital well-being, inclusion, accessibility, and more. My name is Rob Price, one of the founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility back in 2017. If you'd like to know more, have a look at the website corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. So welcome to episode 10 of the Corporate Digital Responsibility podcast and this week it's all about financial inclusion uh, and more. So delighted to welcome my guests this week, um, Kevin and Karen. Uh, Karen, would you like to start with a quick introduction? Yeah, uh, Karen Elliott, I'm a senior lecturer in FinTech at Newcastle University Business School. I co-lead two projects, one called FinTrust, which I'll talk about a bit later, a second one called FinInclusion, looking at verifiable credentials. And I'm slightly different academic. I come from an industry background and then moved into academia, and I'm very interested in trust and finance. Excellent. Thank you. And I believe once upon a time, you also introduced me to Kevin. So Kevin, over to you. Quick intro. Hi, uh, Kevin Telford. Um, I'm the Global Economic Observatory Lead at um, GOFCO, the Global Open Finance Centre of Excellence, which we created a couple of years ago. Um, my background is mainly in uh, corporate startups, investments, and um, looking at the intersection of society, environment, and um, economic uh, models of the future. That's great, Kevin. And, and I should also add, we're also joined by Christopher, uh, fellow co-founder of Corporate Digital Responsibility. Um, Karen, I, I, it must be a year ago that we kind of started talking about CDR um, and, and found some strong synergies with the work that you were doing as well. Uh, would you like to kind of give a bit of background to, to that and especially uh, recognising how, how it's evolved for you over the last kind of few years? Yeah, it's involved in significantly. So I've been in the financial fintech sector for about six, seven years now, when I was first at Durham University before moving to Newcastle five years ago. Uh, my interest was sparked around trust from a social science perspective. When I was working on a paper looking at the possibilities of blockchain and cryptocurrencies and what this could mean for transacting, but how would we be able to trust transactions um, on the blockchain, which in theory are trustless. And then that sparked my interest. And when I moved to Newcastle, I approached my colleagues in the School of Computing because there was a call out looking at trust, privacy, security, and identity. And we worked together looking at the concepts of trust from a human perspective perspective and how how can we translate that into a technical perspective because from a technical perspective it's been a lot about acceptance of testing and making sure that the machine learning systems AI do what they're expected to do meet certain criteria and that's okay but we move beyond that to sort of really unpack how do you produce trustworthy data so, so far, the last uh, couple of years, well, almost three years, we've looked at prototypes producing a chain of trust. So we've got a paper about that. And then on the social side, we also looked at a social license to operate. So in essence, it's okay to have trustworthy technology, but how about 
um, citizens and their rights to understand and have access and be aware of all the products on offer to have a benefit so towards an equitable digital society which is a is a big banner that Kevin and I are going to unpack so Kevin um, and I met me about three years ago through an interest in open banking which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more and that feeds into our our project because we're looking at how how can we open up fintech more to the broader population and make sure that the underpinning machine learning processes are unbiased. So for instance, um, people who ordinarily can't get access to financial services, is it the machine learning aspect that has been trained on biased historic data that is impacting on their digital well-being? And this has also led into um, a recent project that's funded by the Gates Foundation looking at vulnerable consumers. And we're just at the outset of that, producing a, a prototype, working with the likes of the credit unions, citizens vice bureau, responsible lenders that are lending to, to the groups of people who are sort of on the periphery of the normal bank's remit of a customer. And you know, what does vulnerability look like for them? Do they see themselves as vulnerable? Um, how do we give them voice to understand their journey and to build a prototype around verifying who they are? Because they're probably wanting to lend amounts that are significantly below say 2000 pounds, but we've also got to be responsible in the way that we lend to them. So we're currently working on that project and working with community. This has also brought me in contact with people like um, Joe Zamet from, from Radix Think Tank, who's looking at, since we've left the EU, what does this mean for the interaction of social, industrial competition, financial laws, et cetera, across the EU, because as we know, um, the UK is number one in fintech. So my interests uh, come under the banner of fintech, but it's going across, how do we get collaboration? How do we look at vulnerability of consumers? And leads me towards focusing on value from making technology trustworthy, unbiased as possible with the caveat that there's always a bias there because it's created by humans for humans to use. And then how can we produce an ethical toolkit, which is one of the outcomes of this project, Fintrust project, that will be open to, to all providers to use to wrap around their algorithms and draw out the bias as much as possible. And uh, say for the Finclusion project, we're producing a prototype that we hope we'll get more funding for and this also lends into a concept or two we're looking at which is fairness as a service where we can actually test your algorithms to see how fair they are, how transparent they are, and how, um, how biased they are. So we can actually identify it for you and help you unpack that. So there's, a, there's lots of things going on in last, over the last two or three years. I just see it like burgeoning and more areas emerging. And I was actually fortunate enough to feature in the Khalifa report that was published this week. And also I work within the national FinTrust network. So that's FinTech Scotland, FinTech North and Innovate Finance in London. I've worked with them on masterclasses for educating students at, at school level age of why they should care about their data and who has it. So that brings me to another interest, which is ethical AI, which links nice to the concept of corporate digital responsibility. Because if we have a social license to operate, how would we get corporates to, to buy into this? Because we've got corporate social responsibility. So I think in discussions with you, Rob and, and Christopher and other people who are starting to write around this area, which is limited, 
we're, we're looking at um, CDR as, a, as like a subset of CSR, but that we can that we can bring in this concept of a new digital responsibility and move towards what I always focus on, which is an equitable digital society for all. And this is where I've been working with Kevin on open banking and GovGo's objectives. I'm, I'm reminded as you were talking, I mean, one of the things that we did um, a few years ago now was to do this survey around how people felt about digital technologies uh, in, yeah. in the context of adoption. And, and the two areas that shone through were people adopted things because it was convenient to do so uh, it, it saved them time. It was a clear kind of benefit, and and because yeah. there was there was health benefit or actually well-being benefit. So it's almost a financial well-being test, isn't it? And and, and your point around open yeah. banking, well, I mean, I was always fascinated to kind of understand what the consumer proposition was for open banking. Mm -hmm. I get it from the point of view of opening up, but how do you kind of how, how do you give those benefits to a consumer who may feel well, may, may, as you said, kind of, may, they may or may not know that they're on the periphery and, and uh, in terms of access and gaining benefit from those things. Um, Kevin, um, a number of times, Karen, Karen introduced you. So, do you want to kind of introduce Gofco and maybe some of the uh, interactions? Yes, I, I think I'll start um, with, with the interest in um, CDR. I see it um, very much um, synergistic with what we're doing at Gofco. I see it as an umbrella around um, data, the intersection of digital um, that brings in data, technology and ways of working. And, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, about that. My journey on this um, particular path started about 10 years ago when I got involved in GDPR and I had a shining moment that I realized that um, the ability now, the track that we're on towards citizens' data rights and um, digital uh, level playing field, ethics, inclusivity, all around that and, and bringing those, those two together would be really important as we went through a journey of, of shaping out open banking, open finance and ultimately open life, where legislation and citizens' data rights live alongside dig digital data rights, uh, whereby we become the owners of our data and the controllers of that data. I was fairly ambitious and thought, well, that would take five years and still 10 years on. We're still starting to shape that. So GovCo is, is still in startup mode. So I'll answer, I'll answer this in the context of GovCo as we are today, but also the wider context of um, what's happening and in, in, in seismic shifts that's making this happen. So GovCo's vision is pretty straightforward. Our vision is to Im improve lives, economy, environment, and society. Our purpose is to inspire and empower people to create impactful research and innovation initiatives through harnessing financial, digital data assets to make smarter decisions. Our mission is really driven around people to collaborate, educate on digital enablement through technology, data intelligence, with people that's working on ethical operating standards for impactful delivery on some of the greatest economic, environmental, societal problems that we face. Big, big ambition. And it's, it's a forever ambition. It's about creating, um, first of all, we um, went to get funding for GovCo. Um, we raised the package um, through Strength in Places funding with 22 and a half million against the strategy and a plan that we put together with Edinburgh University and FData and FinTech Scotland. And we put a package of 55 million to seed fund it uh, together. So what is GovCo? Well, GovCo is um, three core capability areas. It's about building the global economic observatory that has 
a space to collaborate around um, deep exploration of economic, societal, and environmental data sets that allows us to create that longitudinal study of how people spend, save, and earn in that context. On top of the geo, it has an innovation playground where organizations can stand up challenges around the, the data and um, look at AI, uh, ML, test bias, but also start innovation cohorts and challenges where they get access to data. And the third part of that is the technical and ethical standards that, that go alongside having trust of getting other organizations. So the premise is that we created an environment. We sit in a 180 million pound data environment called the Data Safe Haven in Edinburgh. On top of that, um, governance is um, ethics, privacy and compliance principles for the academics to get access to tools to do research that will inform innovation. So in a nutshell, um, GEO is a series of projects around organizations, big, small, different, being able to um, share data with, with trusted entities such as GovCore um, and then bring that into collaboration. I think Christopher wants to in interject at this point. Not, not interject, Kevin, as much as um, kind of tease you a bit because that, that, um, that, that goal and purpose that you just described is wonderful. And I love the fact that you put people very much at the heart of that change, because I sense that sometimes when we talk about data and get into the nitty gritty of, of um, accessibility, et cetera, we can get into a very technology conversation. And yet it's um, supporting and enabling those that most need our support in society, those that you uh, referenced earlier, Karen, as um, people who might be vulnerable in a financial sense and in other senses too, that, um, that that's a really important goal that I think CDR suggests is going to become more and more important for organizations. I was just wondering in your experience with engaging organizations and sharing this message of, of a new positive way of supporting the, the end user, the, the person with this technology and this change, how, do, how have organizations perceived that? Have they been on board? Have they been resistant? Is it, has it been a po positive conversation with them? I've probably over the time with the team engaged about 70 organizations from large, really banks, right the way through to small fintech startups, um, support groups, um, cut across government, which uh, government are great supporters of this, this initiative. And un Without a shadow of a doubt, every organization wants to come on the purpose. Um, that there's not one that doesn't. The difficulty is in making the, um, that information governance, that ability to unlock data across organizations, that's very difficult. It took us some time to get our first um, contract in place with a major bank to be able to share pseudonymized data for us to then use uh, for exactly what you just described around um, social impact on COVID uh, and the economy and how can we help um, small to medium enterprises in their recovery. Um, so that was, it's very much always based around doing the right thing by the individual. So it starts with that premise that, um, as you said, CDR is, is central to that um, and starting with a clear purpose. Um, so in recent months, and uh, now that we're standing up projects and case studies, the, the desire to get involved in this is getting stronger every day. Uh, organizations want to do the right thing. 
against their B Corp model or their ESG or the CSR type of policy and the individuals inside the organizations all want to come on this journey, but it's a difficult thing to do, Rob. I, th I think I think the thing that I am seeing, um, and, and maybe it's driven through the, the, the a consequence of the pandemic, if you like, is, is this kind of stronger sense of community, stronger sense of desire to do things, a, a new digital responsibility, if you like, that spans not only corporates, but individuals and governments and academia, etc. Um, but it isn't a shift that can happen overnight. So it comes back to uh, the combination of many initiatives like those that we're talking about here. Um, Karen, you mentioned uh, the, the, the Radix report that was published a couple of months ago, um, asking the question of uh, fintech delivering true social value. So, so I think the thing that I'd ask both of you really is is building on those conversations. Um, what, what, where are the things that you'd perhaps highlight as some of the really interesting consequences, the things that some of those uh, fintech organizations or indeed kind of big corporate organizations are doing differently to engage parts of society that haven't been as engaged before uh, to, to provide uh, a greater difference to those parts of society that have maybe missed out before. Anything that you'd highlight? Um, I think it's actually emerging uh, as we speak, because I was talking earlier today, like I say, with um, credit unions about how they could collaborate. And one of them was actually using a fintech provider, using open banking to actually credit check these more, what you would term perhaps vulnerable customers. So that's the real change that I've seen, that the technology is actually helping where the, the person actually described that the process I used had been paper, paper-based, and through the automation, like gradually using the technology to actually drive being able to get out into community, add this onto social media, where technology is working for the people, because I think that's at the center of, of, of Kevin and I's interest. When we met, for instance, we were supposed to only meet for half an hour, and a couple of hours later, we were still talking about the centrality of people in this process and how technology was sometimes seen as the panacea, but it's, I have to agree with, with some writing around, you know, it's a technology fallacy that it starts with the people and you have to take them with you by raising this awareness. But I definitely see that there's movements to, to collaborate more. I mean, when I was sitting on some academic panels because I come from an industry background, I was saying to people, it's great going towards a cashless society, but we need to stop and have that caveat of we need to take everybody with us and raise awareness so that technology can actually benefit all. And if you're looking for specific examples, it is perhaps a digitization of the former credit unions or community banks that are starting to come on board and they're liaising with the likes of the challenger banks, such as Atom, who we work with here in the Northeast. And it's, it's raising this awareness that, that, that more traditional banks are now having to be pressurized by the FinTech movement to actually consider and broaden their options. Whereas I remember sitting down at Durham University and having this conversation with, with leaders in the area where it wasn't even an option. They weren't considering it. It was sort of, this is a traditional perspective where now that's been tipped on its head. And in even the, the Ferrari around the potential of blockchain to, to do good, to record transactions, to help track and trace people's verifiable credentials as moving forward. But 
concrete examples are just starting to emerge as people are starting to collaborate more. And as you say, I think on the back of COVID, this is actually helping because people are seeing that we are interdependent species and we need collaboration to move forward. And there's a great new book just, just come out sort of saying the way forward in the, in the economy is mutualism built up from the ground up rather than top down. And I like that, um, that terminology that we have to have this mutual respect and collaboration to make sure we are moving towards that, that digital society with responsibility, that the ethical side of AI doesn't just talk about, oh, this is what we should do, but we actually find ways of bringing it into the technology that we can do it. And it doesn't just become a, a washing exercise as we've seen in, in so many other ethical domains. Cool. And Kevin, one of the things that um, I think we've kind of touched on a number of times has been whether some of these things are going to happen naturally uh, because organisations want to want to do these. There is there is value in doing it or, or whether it's also dependent on policy and regulation to uh, enforce change or drive change faster, accelerate it. Where are you in what you've seen? And, and obviously, in the context of the GovCo conversations, do, do you see... Uh, enough appetite for change or, or what, what what do you think would help? I think it's a combination. I think for many people, uh, humanity is going to drive us from a tech era into a purpose-driven era, era where we have no choice around the environment but to act, where we can't sit by and watch society um, fall into uh, poverty for certain parts. I think there's, this, there's many seismic shifts happening out there that creates problems um, for some people and opportunity for others. But I also see that this polarized society that, that we've maybe experienced for some time is starting to think, right, COVID is now saying we need to work some stuff out, but there's also the legislation seismic shifts coming around data rights um, around the world now. We also see in society not accept um, inequalities and we're seeing disability balance up, we're seeing levelling up, we're seeing um, the VC market move into more sustainable um, projects and, and start measuring. So I think there's, a, there's this shift towards purpose. And I think if I had to describe it, I would describe it as five Ps. And as Karen said, from the, the new bottom-up approach, and I think the new bottom-up approach is social capital, where organisations measurably flow investment back into some of these big tangential issues that we face. And to get to enable that, it, it starts with putting the money down to drive the innovation and the innovation will follow. So the five P's is the penultimate bottom line is now profit. And on top of that profit, you've got a purpose and you've got people and planet, but most important, you've got progress. Um, we see, um, you know, yourselves, corporate digital responsibility starting to say, uh, responsibility for digital it, it's it's corporate academia government um and when you break that down it's a tech the data the digital enablers all of that so i think that the seismic shifts that are happening are empowering the change and whether there's change is opportunity well i was just reflecting um i, I love the idea of a purpose-driven economy um, and one but i also think that a lot of technology organizations don't have much choice to play but to play a, a participative role in our society now and how it operates um we we've got ceos that sometimes seem more like 
politicians or activists that are pushing for, for change and, and positivity. Sometimes in spite of regulation, and we find regulation ca catching up, and I'm sure open banking is a fantastic example of that in its own right. But I think that creates a real paradigm shift for, for organizations going forward as to how they, what role they want to play in that world and how they're going to equate that purpose to how they characterize success for them. And yes, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they pick that up. Yes, and I think that to, to, to be a purpose-driven organization that has benefits to the bottom line, attracting the right talent, retaining them, creating new models. So some of the organizations that we're seeing are now seeing got a tr five trillion uh, deficit in pensions in later life. I don't know the exact number, but we might be working until we're 88. We've got um, 500 victims of fraud every year. We've got um, almost um, 2 million people unemployed, or 90% of the community. Poor people can pay on average 490 pounds a year for, the, for the, the privilege of being poor and the poverty premium. So we're seeing organizations not accept that. You know, in the UK, 14.2 million people are in poverty, including 4.5 million children. So, you know, it's, 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 it's the right thing to do, but it's also the things that people want to do. And that, so we're seeing organizations start to collaborate around taking responsibility for digital in, in the way that they design and also using data-driven innovation to start and think, well, I'm, we need to tackle this 5 trillion pension deficit. How can we do it? We know what the problem statement is. Let's, let's put digital responsibility at the front of the design and start to think, well, what data points do we need? And using research to spot where the gaps are that we can start and face these some big issues and start today. So we're seeing many organizations cross sector, but that needs enablement. It needs the data to flow. It needs the data to be able to flow from one organization to, the, to another with consent and identity and for, for, for that is critical. But also is the categorization of the data and how, how organizations can use it. And most important, how, how do we protect the citizen in the heart of that, both from a trust, trustworthy point of view and ethical point of view that they have given permission for that data to be used for that purpose. So I think there's lots of things that's happening and there's, there's many organizations that I could call out now that are really pushing, pushing it forward. And many of them are working on the poverty premium right now. And I think that that would attract me to work for a, an organization and be part of that, those projects and initiatives. And I think uh, collaboration. No, I, I was going to say, I, th I, think, I think you're spot on with one of the key drivers for change and the accelerator for change, which is people's desire to work for organisations that are going to make a difference. And, and yeah. I think more and more, if we kind of see the challenges around attraction and retention of talent to do the things that the organisations, whoever they may be, wherever they may be, uh, if people just can't get access to people to deliver in the way that they have in the past, then maybe that will be the thing that forces that recognition of faster change. And, and I think for me, the things that you've described, both of you have described, are brilliant to see happening. But it's the, the concern, if you like, that I've got is, is, is are they happening fast enough? Do we get? Maybe that's the final question that I've got. What's the, what's the one thing that you would hope somebody listening to this podcast thinks, listens to, uh, is inspired and thinks, I must do this differently. Uh, one sentence, kind of what, what, what would that be for each of you? Um, anyone want to start? 
I would say we, we need to collaborate around the purpose motive and um, push forward together. We can't do this disjointedly. It has to be a collaborative effort. Kevin? Take steps towards the vision and the purpose and do it today. Use agile mindsets and take responsibility for digital and social and things that we've talked about and just get on and stand stuff up. And Christopher? For me, it all revolves around that vulnerability into society, which affects us all in multiple ways. So, so what does that mean for you? How does it affect you in your life? And, and what should we collectively, in collaboration, um, seek to do about it? And that will give us a drive to change. Wise words to end on, I think. <laughs>